Last Sunday, we saw the inspiring picture of the first church in history. In Acts 4, Jerusalem church stood up boldly against the persecution. I hear that a lot of people feel that a, a pandemic is suffocating and intolerable. And uh, I like to say that I try persecution, how, you know, whether that's better. Uh, but Jerusalem church, they did not cave in the political pressure, but continued to preach the gospel and care for the people. This young church was so committed to the gospel of a risen Christ that the only thing they asked God was boldness to preach. And God was so happy to hear such a prayer and faith that see their face that God literally shook the ground of their place where they prayed. And the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Warren Wiersbe, a well-known American evangelical ex-pastor says, if Satan cannot defeat the church by attacks from outside, he will get on the inside and go to work again. That's what Satan did in Acts chapter 5. And today we will see how the first church defended itself from the internal attacks of Satan. In my 31 years of a full-time pastoral ministry, I witnessed it, that internal attacks of Satan are more common and deadlier than external challenges. Most churches are damaged or even destroyed by internal troubles rather than external threat. How could the first church fend off the deadly internal troubles? They prevented the infection of a spiritual virus that we will see with the church discipline. Uh, speaking about church discipline, a few weeks ago, I said John Calvin said, according to John Calvin, church discipline is a mark of a New Testament church. Biblical church, they are serious about the gospel of, uh, gospel of Christ and the glory of God with a solemn accountability. So let's find about uh, the first, church's, first church discipline in the book of Acts, chapter 4. So let me read chapter 4, verse 1 to 14. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of a property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and the prayed at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart, and you have a lie to the Holy Spirit? and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the, for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of, think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this a price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is a price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to the test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, 
the feet of the men who buried your husbands at the door, and they will carry you out also. At the moment she fell down at her feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about this event. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else there joined them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Today's text tells, about, tells us about the first church discipline in the New Testament. And for the today's study, I entitled the message, Spiritual Infection and Immunization, in the lieu of our current pandemic. And imagine if China or U.S. government had responded to the first sighting of COVID-19 cases with a total readiness. The outcome could be hugely different, globally different. By sovereign grace of God, the first church, Jerusalem church, they detected and defeated the first internal attack of Satan, a spiritual virus, successfully. So as we examine the story in terms of sin and judgment and the result, I coined actually three terms. One is the other, infection, and second is incision, incision. And third one is immunization. So we will talk about uh, the infection, the nature of their sin, and incision, the, the God's you know, judgment, and the uh, immunization, the result. What was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira? They sold their property and gave some of the money to the church, but told the church that they gave it all. They lied. They lied about the amount of offering. What's wrong with this lie? Don't we all lie sometimes? If the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was simply lying, and we know all lying eventually is lying to God, and they were dead because of it, we are all in big trouble. So what's so wrong with this line about offering that he, they ended up dying? Let me say clearly, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not what they lied about, but why they lied. It's not about what they did, but why they did what they did. So let me tell you why they lied. If you look at the verse 1, it starts with a now. Actually, in Greek, it can be translated as a but too, but. Uh, Greek word for day is actually, you can translate as but. A man named Ananias, and, uh, Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also, also sold a piece of a property. Also means that uh, they were not only ones who sold properties and donated them to the church. Others did that too. And the in, uh, previous uh, story, uh, Acts chapter 4, 34 to 37, tells us the context of that, uh, uh, the today's uh, incident. So Acts chapter 4, 34, let me read it. 
there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had who had a need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyrus, a Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Jerusalem church loved each other as Christ commanded them. The expression that they, there was no needy person among them actually came from Deuteronomy 15.4 that there need be no poor people among you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. They were in Jerusalem church. The first church was embodying the sabbatical Shalom community that God dreamed for Israel in the promised land. And the, such a loving community didn't happen naturally, but through intentional sacrifices of gracious, generous givers. The example of a, such a, a sacrificial giver was, givers was Joseph from Cyrus. And uh, his generous gift was so inspiring that not just members of the church, but the apostles, the apostles of Jesus Christ, they were touched by his generous sacrificial giving. They gave him a nickname, Barnabas. Ba in Hebrew means son. You know, Ba Mizpah. Ba Mizpah means son of commandment. That's what the Jewish young man or you know, Ba Mizpah young woman go through for their adult ritual. So Barnabas, they called him a son of encouragement. They are telling the Barnabas, you encouraged us so much. And the rest of the book of Acts, Joseph was known for his nickname rather than his original name. Now, story of Ananias Sapphira follows right after Barnabas' story. What does that mean? There is a connection between these two stories. Just as Joseph sold his property and gave it all to the church, and receive everyone's accolade with the title of Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira also wanted to receive the same respect and reputation, except that they didn't want to pay the whole price for it. They coveted reputation and admiration of others while cheating the real price of sacrifice. John Wooden, a legendary uh, basketball coach at UCLA, said this, Be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your character is what you, what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Abraham Lincoln also said, Character is like a tree, and reputation is like a shadow. And a shadow is what we think of it, and tree is the real thing. You know, here the Greek word, verse 3, the lie, Greek word for the lie is a pseudomai, 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 uh, from which we get English word pseudonym, pseudonym. When you are lying to the Holy Spirit, Peter was saying, you are falsifying, falsifying the work of the Holy Spirit, or you are falsely representing Holy Spirit. So here is a scene of Ananias and Sapphira. They are making pseudo-spirituality. They are making spiritual counterfeit, fake pi piety, counterfeit faithfulness 
to win the respect of other people. Let me, let me illustrate this. Uh, about 15 years, 15, 16 years ago, my parents gave me, okay, let me show you. This, do you know what this is? Anybody knows? This is a Rolex watch. Actually, they gave me several. Do you know your pastor owns several Rolex watch? Yeah. I, I, you know, I was actually thinking about wearing this Rolex watch to the church and to see how you respond to me. You know, this is a Rolex watch. You know, they bought many of them from China when they went to a business trip to China. Now imagine, I'm selling you this Rolex, fake Rolex watch, counterfeit, with a full price. Wouldn't be a fair... Yeah, of course. What is the... Uh, what Ananias and Sapphira is doing is a spiritual hypocrisy. And then we need to really pause and think about this because they are doing good things. They're giving, they sold their, their, their property and giving, you know, how many of us sold our property and gave to the church? Anybody? Raise your hand. I mean, I really, this is, you have a bragging right. If you sold your own property and gave a part of it to the church, I think you, you know, I'll give you the bragging right. Or, you know, I really, call, you know, yeah, I'll call you Barnabas right now. Here. You know, they did good things. But why did they go, they lied? Why they weren't happy with the good things? Their ultimate goal is not just to help church, it's to help themselves. And uh, religious leaders, this such a spiritual hypocrisy is a prevalent among the religious leaders. And religious leaders or those who claim to have a spiritual authority are prone to be infected this virus of a fake piety, fake piety. And that's why Jesus constantly rebuked the scribes and Pharisees. If you look at the Matthew 23, Jesus pronounced seven words to the Pharisees, and each, each time Jesus called them hypocrite. You hypocrite, you hypocrite. You know, there are some who use a ministry or spiritual things to promote their reputation. And they promote their reputation in order to satisfy their ego. And I must warn you, it is a grave sin. I've seen this kind of a pseudo-spirituality among church leaders, especially among pastors, and that those kinds of temptation is a, is a very uh, 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 real to me. So I'm, so let me, uh, last, are you tired of Zoom meetings? Last Sun, last week, I had a, a Zoom meeting from Sunday Sunday afternoon to all day Monday and Tuesday. And Wednesday, I had a break. And then, you know, actually Wednesday, I received an email that there is an annual pastoral conference among the uh, uh, Korean-American English-speaking pastors. And... Uh, they said, I thought it was a cancel, but the last minute they said they converted into Zoom meeting and uh, they sent me a Zoom invite. So I went into that meeting for two reasons. One, lately, 
many seminarians joined that uh, conference. So I want to see who is the new faces and see who is a promising and in case, you know, we can invite some of the new pastors uh, to be our staff. And the other reason is obviously to, you know, uh, catch up with my old friends. And every time I go to that conference, there's always a bad taste in my mouth. One th- I mean, there are blessings. There are many, many blessings. But one thing negative about that is that uh, there are pastors, especially my friends, people who have been in ministry for a while. They kind of trying to impress the young pastors with uh, their uh, uh, claims. And some of them is a PhD. Some of them get a, some, you know, get a PhDs. And, uh, you know, I seriously, I said, not all PhDs is really, they know what they do. PhDs is overrated. I did a PhD because my MD was horrible. You know, I did a re-education. That's why I did a PhD. But anyway, and then I met, I, you know, I, I met a, f- a friend that I've seen for almost for 10 years. And then he claimed that he published recently the 50th book in Amazon. He published the 50th book. He claimed to be a prolific writer. And uh, so later when I went to Amazon and checked some of his, you know, his books, this was uh, basically his uh, seminary days uh, class note that is uh, he just you know, published the bullet point. It's a very, it's not a public, no, no publisher will ever take. And uh, I felt really, really sad about my friend because his obsession with the recognition, that sickness didn't get better. You know, it's a tragic for Ananias and Sapphira to think that they have to be Barnabas in order to feel respected and worthy. You know, the, the problem of their lie or their sin is double-fold. One, they forgot the all-sufficient grace of God. And actually, they found the grace of God is not sufficient for them. They felt grace of God is not enough for them, not enough for their self-worth, not enough for their daily joy. And number two, they tried to fill whatever is lacking in their ego fulfillment with the people's adoration. They focus on what people think, not what God thinks of them. It's a tragic because God loves Ananias Sapphira just as much as God loves Barnabas. Do you know God loves all of us, each one of us, so preciously, so immensely? Let me ask you, this story of Barnabas, I mean, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, ask us, uh, child, ask us this question. Are we secure in God's grace? Is God's grace enough for you? By enough, I mean God's grace enough for you to be secure and you don't need any external, ex- extra external security to affirm your self-worth. You know, I am who God says I am. That's what it matters. Whatever God says about me, that settles. So whatever Almighty God thinks of me, that's who I am. That's all that matters. 
I am who I am in Christ. My self-worth comes from God's original grace. And the, if you don't know what the term original grace, you need to take a cornerstone Bible study. Original grace, by that I mean this. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God in His image. And we are infinitely and overabundantly redeemed and saved by God's sacrificial love. You know, today I was so happy that we started our worship with Your Grace is Enough, the Hillsong song, because I wanted to, I was actually debating uh, several songs for the dedication song, and that was one of them. Actually, it took uh, like uh, two days to, to make a decision. And when I saw the song, I said, wow, something is uh, clicking here. It's that like God's grace is enough for me. Whatever you think you need, you need, you need, on top of God's grace, watch out. These are your potential idols. You know, this week, President Trump declared that a church is essential. Whatever reason. I don't think it was a theological reason. We know church is essential. Now, church, we all need to ask this question. Is that God is essential to me? Is that God is really essential to me? By that, by that is a, God is enough for me to have a happiness and sanity and joy and motivation to live a life. Even though I cannot, I'm so limited by this uh, pandemics. Is there basic thriving gratitude in my heart. If not, we are very close to Ananias and Sapphira. Let me move on to the second point. It's about judgment. But before we are uh, looking at the God's judgment, let me ask you this question. What did you do if you were Peter? If you were the church leader and one of your members just made a huge donation, but just a little bit of a accounting duplicity. What did you do? If somebody gave all to the church and then you saw him driving brand new Tesla S? Yeah, I'm bashing uh, our Forest Tesla Club. Yeah, until I become a member of the club, I'm going to bashing the Tesla Club. Tesla is a great car, but nothing wrong with about Tesla, but you know, Ananias and Sapphira's gift was substantial. And if Peter had not been a man of integrity, he could have thought, I did not offend these wealthy donors. And, but Peter was more concerned with the purity in the church. That he didn't want this kind of a fake spirituality or pseudo-spirituality to spread. So he confronted their deception right there. And the interesting thing is that when Peter talked to Ananias in verse 3 and 4, Ananias, you lied. He actually referred to Ananias in a singular verse, singular, uh, singular, uh, singular way. But when he talked to Sapphira later in verse 8 and 9, he was using the word you in plural. And the commentators think that uh, probably the deception, the whole lie, was initiated by Ananias. Obviously, it's a male-centered, male-chauvinistic, patriarchal world. So the idea came from Ananias. And Sapphira, 
was their accomplice while Ananias was the instigator. But regardless, but regardless of that, when Peter asked her, and then when she lied at the same way, she shared his guilt and the same discipline. Now, look at the way that Peter rebuked them or confronted them. Peter said, you did not just lie to men or human beings. You lied to God. And the first time when Peter said, you lied to God, he didn't say God. He said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Quick two notes about Holy Spirit. One, Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. You don't lie to the force. You don't lie to the wind or, you know, electricity. You lie to a person. Holy Spirit is a person. And number two, Holy Spirit is God. Because second time when Paul, I mean, Peter said, you lie, you say you lie to God. But here is, Paul, Peter was actually, when he was confronting uh, Ananias, he was saying that, Ananias, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? And the Satan must have filled your heart. How could the Satan control? He's, so Peter saw the danger of this virus. That is, while the Holy Spirit is working in the church, there was another dark power is working in the church or against the Holy Spirit. That is a Satan. And so here we need to recognize church is not a, just a, a religious organization or organized religion. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit loves the church. Those of you familiar with the Apostles' Creed or grew up with the reciting Apostles' Creed, Apostles' Creed is that the three articles, I believe God the Father Almighty, and the second I believe Jesus Christ, our Lord, and His only Son. And the third article, when it comes to the third article, I believe the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just stop there. And Holy Apostolic Catholic Church. Holy Spirit and the church are always connected together with the word and. Our church and every church, you should recognize it's not just a human organization. Holy Spirit has, is a residing in us. Not just individually in, in each one of us, but in midst of us. He is the one who brings us together and fall in love with Jesus and follow Jesus individually and corporally. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit cares about the church. Because as we, as we learn in the Ephesians, book of Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, church is the ultimate plan of God for history. It's a mystery that God foreordained before the foundation of the world and God finally ushered through the Christ. It's a one new humanity. So church is not just any religious organization. This is a body of Christ that that the Holy Spirit reside. Now, because of a church is such a precious to such so precious to God and the Holy Holy Spirit, Satan attacks church. Now let's look at the judgment. I call it incision. Incision that means. God took them out. 
And I want to say this. Peter did not kill the Ananias and Sapphira. Peter did not pronounce a death sentence on Ananias. You know, Peter simply confronted and rebuked him. And I somehow, you know, I actually believe that Peter was a bit surprised when Ananias dropped dead in front of him. And I bet that's when Peter realized that, yes, my hunch was right and this is a serious offense. And then with that recognition, that's when he asked, you know, then he pronounced the, uh, uh, the, 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 the condemnation to Sapphira later. Now, I want us to recognize one thing. God's judgment here to Ananias and Sapphira was severe and swift. Ananias, if you look at the uh, passage, was not suddenly died or dropped dead, but he was speedily buried by the young men of the church. And uh, did you know, the, I mean, you know, this young man, they came in and then they just wrapped his body and just buried him without notifying the family member. Ancient culture, especially Jewish culture, burial takes several days. And such a speedy burial without notifying family is a very unusual. Why did they do that? It's a, simply because it shows how disgraceful this death was. This young man or church was treating the body of Ananias like a, a virus infected a corpse that uh, people that we saw all over the world now, they are kind of putting away right away. So, God's judgment was uh, swift and severe. And some of us wonder that we are no better than Ananias and Sapphira. I lie to, I lie, I lie to God, I lie about financial matters. Or sometimes I even lie about maybe, you know, church matters. Then how come I'm alive and that they're gone. They're taken. I think the reason is that because this is a church is a still infancy state. And actually today's passage when he talked about the church, the mentions of the church, this is the first time the church mentions in the book of Acts. And now, I want us to be clear. God, so they died. But that doesn't mean God sent them to hell. There's no indication that Ananias and Sapphira were unsaved. It would be easy to conclude that this couple had never come to faith. But Luke makes no such indication. You know, Christians, even saved ones, are fully capable of such sins. If you ask me what's stupefying, what horrendous sins that are born-again Christians, you know, did, I can tell you a litany of it. I know of deacons who stole, the church actually, of, you know, uh, uh, they're in the finance committee, who stole the cashes from the church offering for several months. And they were discovered until one day there somebody asked something and then, you know, the large sum of cash was gone and then that's when they realized. I know a lot of stories like that. So, Christians are capable of such a horrendous sin. His death of a divine judgment does not mean God sent them to hell. And the Luke does not mention the eternal fate of Ananias. Instead, know this. His death was a premature, and I believe it's a saving grace of God 
to destroy the deadly virus of a pseudo-spirituality that could almost infect the first church in history. So this death is not eternal damnation, but premature purgation or purging. And uh, about this, if uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul described God's judgment in the analogy of a testing uh, building. In ancient times, whatever they built, they tested it with a fire. In the 1 Corinthians chapter, 13, uh, chapter 3, there is, uh, Paul said this, Their work will be shown for what it is, verse 13, because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with a fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survive, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. You know, whatever I do or I did for myself will be lost at the end. No matter how great work of God or ministry that I did, if I did for myself, will, will be burned and incinerated like a trash. Only whatever I did for God, no matter how small, how insignificant, whatever things that I did for God out of joy and gratitude, they are the one will remain to reflect God's glory. So, that's the actually what happened here. And according to uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there are some who will be saved but are shamefully. The builder will suffer loss yet will be saved. And only as one escaping through the flame. We are talking about last, uh, 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 salvation of Lot and his daughters in the Old Testament. They are saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, but with a shame. Now, I think this, uh, early, this God's you know, judgment of Ananias and Sapphira was also grace to Ananias and Sapphira. I believe that they will be in heaven. Just like the deacon that stole the money <laughs> from the church offering will be in heaven because, you know, if he sincerely believed Jesus. And when Ananias and Sapphira went to heaven, I bet they were so happy to find how much God loved them. When they found out God loved them as much as God loves Barnabas and apostles, I, I bet their joy and their repentance and even thanksgiving, they will say, thank you, thank you God for bringing us home earlier. Because had you not brought us earlier, we totally made the church sick. We are so grateful. Now let me bring up quickly the conclusion, the result. The result of a divine judgment brought fear to everyone. Twice in verse 5 and 11 looks at great fear, sees all who heard what had happened and the whole church. The great fear in Greek is a megaphobia. Megaphobia. There is a mega holy fear in the first church as a result of detecting and destroying the spiritual virus of a phony pseudo, uh, pseudo uh, ministry or faith. Now, 
important is as a result, church became a strong. Church become immunized. Church can stand up this kind of virus. You know, health comes with a health, healthy fear. You know, health and fear go together. You cannot be health, healthy without having a good sense of a fear. You know, John Wesley said, if you fear nothing but sin, God will use you greatly. That's what John Wesley once said. You know, spiritual life or health, it always comes a right understanding of a fear. What do we fear most? And verse 13 said, how much, you know, shows how much fear, how much fear was real. No one else there joined them, even though the church was highly regarded by the people. You know, just like the Old Testament, when Israelites at the Mount Sinai saw God in glory and couldn't approach him near, now the general public in Jerusalem, they have a similar attitude to God's people. They were saying, these are holy people. You need to be holy around them. If you lie around them or in, in their fellowship, God will take you out. The fellowship and followers of the way they recognize is different from synagogue or Jewish fellowship. You cannot be pretender. You have to be honest. You have to put your heart. You cannot have a partial. You cannot have a fake spirituality here. And here, an important spiritual principle and uh, uh, for church and ministry comes. That is, church health eventually brings a church growth. Healthy churches always grow sooner or later. Later, verse 14 said, more and more, nevertheless, more and more men and women believe in the Lord and were added to their number. Very paradoxical fact. People were afraid of a first, uh, a first church, yet they are drawn to them. The fear and fascination. They fear the church, yet they are fascinated by the church. And then when churches are holy, people uh, find the church wholesome, attractive. And here is, when I said uh, when church is healthy, it will eventually grow. Let me ask you, how does a church become unhealthy? You know, big question is, how does church become unhealthy? What's the sign of a healthy church? Let me tell you, just like a healthy body, for health, you need to have two things. Good nutrition and also sensible exercise. Good food, good exercise. That's why we emphasize Good Shepherd College. That's why we are committed to learning. And, the, and those of you new, new to our church, you know, we, have a real, we really encourage you to sign up with our Good Shepherd College and especially the first class, you know, Cornerstone Bible Study. And you will hear more, more reflections and testimony in coming days, but really, really help you to understand the depth of the gospel and the amazing person of our God. And then, where do we get the exercise? After we are fed with God's word, we come to the house church. And we tell each other 
how, how we practiced, what we learned. So House Church and Good Shepherd College, this is our way of trying to make a forest healthy. And when we become in love with God through his word, and we are really honest to each other in house church through confession and intercession, God will not only encourage us, God will bring up people to us. And our VIPs will be drawn to such a genuine, healthy, serious, growing fellowship. Meaningful relationship is what everybody is looking for. Now, healthy church. I want to say one more thing again. Healthy church. This Jerry's first church was not only sweet, but serious. They're not just a loving church, but they are lethal church. What is a lethal? This church killed a lot of idols and hidden agendas. Just like a hospital kills cancers and germs and old disease to save life, church must defect, detect and expose and exterminate the idols in our heart and lives through the word of Christ and the honest confession and encouragement in this small group ministry like House Church. And then we will enjoy God's abundant life. And then God will bring people for his kingdom. Today I want to close my sermon with a, with a YouTube a video, a video about the Rabbi Zacharias, who just passed away uh, past Tuesday, May 19th, two months after he announced that he was diagnosed with a, a rare cancer. Uh, Rabbi Zacharias uh, was uh, the, the apologist of uh, our generation, at least the two generations. Uh, for 48 years, he uh, spoke in more than 70 countries and authors more than 30 books and teaching many Christians and to engage with the skeptics and arguing the Christian worldview has a robust, true, authentic answers to humanity's existential questions. And he passed away, in my opinion, very prematurely at the age of 74. And among many uh, tributes that I saw in YouTube, I think uh, this one is a really good one. So I want you to watch this. And after you're watching this, I'm going to close in prayer. Let's play. Wow. You know, I've been reflecting on um, a lot of memories. Obviously, it's uh, typical to go through and just think about all the times you spent with someone and were able to minister alongside them. There's a couple of things that come to mind. One is uh, the first time I actually heard his voice. I was driving on a long road trip uh, in the middle of the rural area. Uh, and then I come across one station happened to be a uh, Indian accented voice talking about Jesus. And I thought, what is an Indian doing talking about Jesus? And he was waxing eloquent philosophically. And then he quoted some poetry. And I thought, how do you, how do, you do that? Uh, you, you weave poetry into the middle of your philosophy and then your theology. And that really got me thinking that Christianity isn't the uh, well-meaning but wrong-headed religion that I once thought it was. This is actually a worldview that's worth thinking about. I also think about the times we were able to share the platform and answer questions and, and minister to people and do the personal evangelism as well. You know, Robbie would be in front of a crowd of thousands of people. We shared one time a platform with 9,500 people in the audience. And yet during the Q&A, 
uh, a young man walked up to the microphone who was um, from a different worldview and then became an atheist. And he had deep questions on meaning. And Ravi made sure that we got his contact information so that Ravi could personally spend an afternoon together just going over the students' questions. Uh, Ravi never thought of the crowd. He thought of each individual in that crowd. And um, those are the kind of things he doesn't tell you directly when you're sitting on the plane with him or in the lounge. Uh, those are the things you learn by osmosis. You just learn by proximity to the man. What saddens me, and I'm sure it saddens a lot of people, is that I listened to the man for 20-something years, you know, before I became a Christian, and yet I would hear him and something new would come out of his mouth in the midst of just whatever he was talking about because God had dropped a, a little bit of wisdom into his mouth and it would come out and it would benefit the crowd. And I thought to myself, how do you do that? A quarter century later and I'm still hearing amazing insight from you? Uh, what saddens me I'm not, is not just the company I won't have with him, but that I won't hear that again, uh, the side of heaven. Uh, but what, what gladdens me is that um, when I, we get there and he starts to do the tour and say, hey, let me show you a bunch of stuff. Uh, and there's a lot to show you. Um, I'll hear some of that again, because he'll show us things that he learned while he's there. I'm just so excited to, to see him again. When you think back on his life, what, what is the one message that Ravi would like people to take from how he lived and what he said? I like the way you put that, how he lived and what he said, because how he lived reflected what he said. People often ask me, is Ravi really that way in real life? And the answer is absolutely yes. So here's a couple of lessons I think Ravi would want to teach each one of us. Lesson number one is live the message you preach and then preach that message. The credibility of the message is always judged by the integrity of the messenger. And Ravi had it. Ravi had that integrity, which is why he could speak to leaders of countries and also the rickshaw driver with the same level of dignity and care and directness and showed them that he loved them. Um, so I think that one of the most chief things we can learn from Ravi's life and the way he spoke is that when he said people were of essential worth and they were given that worth by God. And so that worth cannot be taken away by any human being. That is an objective reality that every human being has dignity. Ravi actually lived that way with every human being, which is why he could speak to the president of a country and the guy who drove him there to meet that president at the same level um, and not disrespect either, but also exalt and lift up uh, both of them to the station that they deserved. Thank you so much for taking just a few minutes in the midst of your grief. We'll be keeping all of you in our prayers. Thank you so much. Did you hear? Did you hear that is a last, his, uh, his, his, the lesson that I hit. I'm sorry. Okay, can you hear me? Okay. The lesson that uh, the uh, uh, the uh, his um, uh, one of his mentee, a person named uh, uh, Abdul Murray, former you know Muslim, now he's a colleague of uh, Rabbi Zacharias. He said, Rabbi Zacharias, recognize everybody is an essential worth, whether it's a prime minister or or a rickshaw you know, uh, polar, it doesn't matter. Street person or sovereign king, they are all have essential worth because of God's love. Let's pray.